Hopefully I'm not glitchy. How are you doing, Dr. Laporte? Pretty good. How are you? Doing fine. Just enjoying this half day at the end of <laughs> our four-day weekend. <laughs> like, I have to confess, in, in my first four school years, um, like longer extended breaks. I didn't really enjoy that much because I was always antsy to get back in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I like to teach. This COVID-19 year, <laughs> every day off, I'm like, yes, <laughs> more of these. <laughs> I, it, like the past two summers, I was like, oh, I don't need a whole summer off. I, 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 that's, just, that's just too much time. I'm, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss mm -hmm. teaching. And we're only in what October, and by the end of September, I was already like, "Yeah, I'm not teaching summer school this year." <laughs> uh, 
like how sad is this October? And I was like, yeah, I am. I am already. I am already tired through May. I've already used up all my reserves through May. Is it just um, harder teaching uh, online, or oh, well, you're not teaching online now, except for some o- students. But... Online was pretty draining, which I think students experience as well. I think it's just the like staring at a screen. Um, it's harder to mix up activities with the World War II era lines and everyone <laughs> afraid of talking too much. It's funny, yeah. last year, the past four years, it was like spending the first three or four minutes trying to make sure that everyone calmed down, was in their seat and wasn't talking. And this year, it's like everyone's ready and sitting there quietly. And it's just so, it's like so dystopic and creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you guys all there, everyone's like doing their work right, and they're, but they're just staring. <laughs> it's, I don't know. You're like, oh, this is what I, this is what I imagined a good, easy classroom management feeling like, and it's creepy, and I don't like it as much. Right? <laughs> it's weird. Right. It's weird. I, I almost kind of miss, not completely. Some, some classes, especially my early years, just uh, bulldozed me, like, they're like, ha, rookie teacher. <laughs> but uh, so I don't miss that, but I do miss energy, I guess would you would be the way of saying it, like energy. It's harder to get the energy. I feel like the way that you were describing the dystopic classrooms is like a perfect subject matter for like the next Ayn Rand novel, possibly. So <laughs> Oh God, not another Ayn Rand novel, please. <laughs> please, for the love of sweet Jesus. It, she, you, you know, she would write is, from, the, from the grave, wouldn't she? Like she's, the, she's like, there is, there, <laughs> there is an edit, there is still on my YouTube channel, there is an edited thing that I put together for a, a, a sermon I did one time about Jesus versus Ayn Rand. <laughs> really wow yeah it, it intersperses uh, a video of jesus teaching so it's from you know from gospel videos where they have him doing the sermon on the mount or whatever it's interspersed that uh with her doing a, a interview with um mike wallace oh my god <laughs> that's great I, I still get i still get comments on it i got a comment on it <laughs> last night i'll have to check that out let me see if i can find it i'll i'll send it to you that's, that's great. I've not read any of Ayn Rand's stuff. I've heard that her books aren't like bad. I don't think I mean, I've ever read anything extensively hers either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she's she's laughable as a philosopher. She's pedantic as a novelist. But I mean, I'm not going to burn her books. Go read them if you want to. <laughs> Well, we do know there could be a second wave of the pandemic, and with the second wave would come out of the rush on toilet paper. So you don't need to burn certain books. You just need to preserve them for (laughs) dangerous moments in life. Let me see if I can find the best. Hold on, there's, there's a great quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. I was saying, I'll, I'll cut and paste it. It's a great quote about uh, Ayn Rand. 
Um, let's see, where's the chat? There it is. <laughs> That's pretty good. I've heard too many bad and good things about Atlas Shrugs. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting to see what my reaction would be to that book. We all know you would be like, you'd attempt to be excessively level-headed, but, in, <laughs> but inside. But inside your heart. <laughs> Here's my very badly edited video from 2012. Uh, man, how I've grown since then. But it's just video clips edited together. No art to it at all. So Farouk, I was thinking with two clubs, this thing would be pretty massive, but it might've had something to do with moving from one to three to two in like 25 minutes. Um, well, no, we do it. We haven't, let's see. One reason why people aren't coming is that because of the SAT, people have gone other places immediately after. True. So that's one thing. So I was hoping people would be back by the time it's two, because originally it was one o'clock, right? And so I was hoping by two, people would be back home. They'd be all ready for the core meeting, which is at three. So it'd be like two to three us and three to four core. So is your core meeting going to be online today? Yeah. It is. Okay. Uh, just a little, little uh, advertisement. Uh, tomorrow will be the most uh, philosophical uh, chapel talk in a long time. Ooh, I'm, I'm excited. It, it involves questions. It involves questions about whether or not you'd baptize a robot. Mm. <laughs> okay. The answer is clearly yes. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. So I guess uh, we can just begin with what we have here, right? Um, obviously a smaller group, but uh, doesn't that does not mean we have to sacrifice quality? Um, <laughs> I really need to get better internet. This is getting ridiculous. Um, so the topic of today was um, because in theory this is a joint meeting of literature improvement and a philosophy club even though i think everybody here is philosophy related um, um what we were trying to explore was how we can apply uh improvement to philosophical modern day philosophical problems so um i guess it's fair for i think it's good if we establish what we think are modern philosophical problems so if anybody wants to uh start off Go ahead. Like with technology and stuff, like that, I'd say that's definitely a more prevalent problem with regards to philosophy. Yeah, so, um, and I, are you talking primarily about like social media or just technology all in general and how it leads to, you know, mental and physical deterioration or whatnot? Yeah, for sure. Just how like the effects on people and then just how far can you take take it, I guess, like with medicine also, just things like that. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, let me know if I'm cutting out, y'all, because this is it's been uh, good so far. It's been good so far. Oh, really? Okay, okay, good. Um, so the thing about technology, I, I think it was um, George Orwell. Yeah, it was George Orwell in um, his book *Road to Wigan Pier*. He said that industrialization is the satanic mills, like they are. But it's no, there's no way we're going back. Like it is what it is but how do we cope with the problems that it has created for us? And I think one of the extensive, uh, one of the far reaching problems of industrialization would be um, uh, technology's effect on not only our physical state, but our spiritual state at the same time. So and I, that was a good point because, well, technology, we like to think of it as a, as a uh, especially social media, um, as something that decreases our self-esteem but that's only one aspect of the problem of technology. Another aspect of it would be the physical uh, degeneration of our body and minds, which would be one aspect of it. And then a sort of, there's the, the, the neurological damage too on a very physical level. So I, 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 I appreciate that we must talk about the sense of the psychological damage that it does to us, but there's also very much a physical element to it as well. So I don't know what you guys think about that. Also, Kaylee, why do you have your cam off? He uh, so I, yeah, oh. I still haven't gotten home after school. Oh, oh you're good, you're good. <laughs> Sorry, I had to check on something. So you're saying that the big question in front of us is how philosophy can help us understand like the strengths and weaknesses of modern technology on the human psyche, something to that extent? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I was talking about the negatives, but there's also the positive as well, which we tend to neglect as well, um, quite often in our very uh, pessimistic view of modern society. But yeah, that's, that's essentially what we are talking about right now. Mm. I feel like we're in a place where it's easier to pick up the negatives. I mean, I'm not a expert on psychology. It's like I keep up with journals or anything, but I always uh, on occasionally see on loop stories about how, um, social media, doom scrolling and all that have had something to contribute to rising levels of anxiety and depression. So that seems to be a pretty obvious no-no. Um, I haven't watched it, but Netflix has a documentary on this, The Social Dilemma, I think. Has anyone seen that? I think. Yeah. Is that what, it, is that what it, the basic argument? That it's making us really sad? Well, I mean... <laughs> They, 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 would, true. they would argue they would argue that there's market forces that like incentivize our various platforms to make us sad right because the idea is that if content is somehow existentially disturbing to us whether it causes us to fear whether it causes us to be angry whether it causes us to argue that's good engagement right so all of our all of our platforms are oriented toward maximizing engagement maximizing eyeballs, maximizing ad revenue, and therefore it incentivizes the absolute worst type of content for human sanity. Hmm. 
I mean, just experientially, I can see that pretty clearly. I, I feel like it was about a month ago. I had just a just a full-on week where I felt like every day I just was not in a good space. And so I'd say, you know, I'm just going to try. Not like, not fully unplug because whenever I say something in the absolute, like I'm going to get off social media completely, that kind of full-blown commitment usually is a great indicator that I won't stick with it. Not always, yeah. but frequently. Um, but I was just like, I'm going to try to minimize it. Like if I want to get on Facebook because I'm bored, um, how about I open, if I really, if I'm just in that space where I don't want to pick up a book, I don't want to watch anything on TV. I just want to kind of, again, do what doom scrolling is, do the zombie thing. Uh, I started just uh -huh. playing like Angry Birds 2 instead. So instead of getting on social media, I blew up pig castles with my Angry Birds. And I was like, about a, three or four days later, you know, I kind of felt that burden removed a little bit and felt a little uh, more relieved. And I think partially, I don't know, um, some of the social media platforms that are popular with younger generations than ours, but social, Facebook's kind of the one that hooked um, Gen Zers and millennials. And it kind of works in a way that you feel the sense that you need to check because if you don't check what Facebook's putting out there and what people are saying, you're not doing your job as a citizen that's informed. I feel like that's kind of the subconscious claim that Facebook has made upon our lives. There's there's also the whole FOMO, fear of missing out for those that are right. more social, that want to know what their friends are doing. But that has never been a thing for me. Like my friends could be like, I'm going to the beach. And I'm like, cool, I'm cool. You know, like that doesn't bother me. but wanting to feel informed about things that are going on that's a two-sided coin where one side is oh look at this it's i'm an informed citizen i'm a good citizen of the digital age and the other side is and i can't do anything about 99 percent of the stuff i read on facebook <laughs> like it doesn't matter the world will not change if i get really really upset about it i mean there's some sense that you want to notify people you want to pass stuff on you, you there's there, there is the social network of of, hey, if I see something I think my friends or colleagues or acquaintances should know, I'll pass it along. But there's only a small fraction probably of the stuff that it hits me that I actually really benefit myself and others by making sure that others are aware of it. A lot of it's just the flow of time and the flow of events, and especially in our current 24-hour news cycle where that, I mean, I, it, it changes so fast. I saw somebody joking about how someday future historians will be like, Oh, what did you do your PhD dissertation on? Oh, it was the you know the afternoon of October seventh through uh, midnight on October eighth of two thousand twenty. That's my that thirty six hours That's is my good. specialty, and it's and but it's almost true. Like, can you imagine just on October alone this month, how many books and articles future historians create about just the United States just this month or the last two months? That's just too fast. That's just too fast for the mind. So. I think it's really easy for me to see based on uh, what Father Nate's saying here about that documentary and about my own experience of just feeling overwhelmed by stuff I have no power over. The harder thing for me is to figure out what is it doing for me that's positive? I don't, I know I'm addicted to it, but I don't know what it's doing for me that's positive. <laughs> I mean, 
I would go off of what Father um, Father Scott said. I, I totally agree with his statement when he called uh, Snapchat um, uh, the devil of social media because I, I certainly agree with that statement right there. Because <laughs> part of it is that – because that's the, that's the social media of our generation, right? Facebook would be of y'all's and Snapchat's right. the king of ours. And the problem with Snapchat is there's no form of accountability, right? Like you send a photo and there you go, it's gone. It's 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 responsibility less. Um, I, I just Snapchat is is out of all of them, I think the worst. I mean, Facebook still has some respectability in my mind, even Instagram. But uh, Snap, just wanted to put that out there. If, if you want to ponder the, uh, the, the, the kind of the ethical responsibility for social change of philosophy, one of my favorite quotes comes from uh, Karl Marx, uh, thesis 11 on philosophy. It's going to be right there in the uh, chat. Philosophers have hitherto only interpreted the world in its various ways. The point, however, is to change it. Philosophy as a mode of social change. It's interesting because when I read that, it today's 24-hour context is um, Wisecrack put out a, a video today about something like why are smart people stupid or something like that. I have to, I'd have to look it up. But it talked about the like kind of like TED Talk, this industry of um, not the public intellectual, but that's that's a that's a pretty important role, but. Um, just like thinkers in the generic way that are brought, like like a, like a Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. He's not oh, no. really an expert on anything. He's kind of a interest board of ideas. <laughs> I say that in the most respectful way possible. <laughs> but when I read this statement by Marx, and, I, and right now I'm, I know this is slow, but I'm tying it into the whole Facebook discussion too. I think it's true, but I also think it's true in the area of specialties. I think where in certain worlds, like the academic realm, there there is definitely a need for more generalist people that have a broader knowledge base, maybe not a deep, really, really deep, but a broad knowledge base. But when it comes to actually doing things that change things, I wonder if we need more people that are deep and not necessarily broad so like i'm thinking um like let's take climate change one of the really important thinkers that i've watched the last years is Catherine iho she's actually at a university here in texas i can't remember which one what's the one in lubbock texas tech texas tech. i think she's there um and she's a fascinating case study in doing and kind of committing yourself to one thing because she's a climate scientist who also happens to be an evangelical Christian and if you're pretty aware of the culture of evangelical Christianity they haven't been very open to the discussion about the reality of the human contributions of climate change and so like Catherine Hayhoe as a climate scientist who identifies as I think her husband's a pastor within evangelical Christianity she is not going to be able to touch all the bases she's not going to be able to do like economics um human trafficking, um, international trade, like that's not going to be something where she can speak to, but on what she can speak to, she's very good at it. Uh, and the reason I say that, that Karl Marx reminds me of, I think that's true, 
but I also wonder in the age of Facebook and social media, when, when you be, you could become informed about a million things that you're this knowledge about instead of this knowledgeable about, um, if we need more people that just like they find their thing, their one thing that, um, that's where they dig deep and they make a big change, um, which is not exactly popular in today's so, influencer era. So we have a lack of specialists, people who are specializing in one field and dedicating their lives to it, kind of. And maybe I mean, that's not what we in need. academia, but um, but as far as public influence, right? Like, like let's take a a good uh, negative example of someone who is a is a bad model of using their depth and knowledge in a public sphere. And I would think of the um, scientist Richard Dawkins. He's a brilliant scientist, a brilliant scientist. He's a miserable philosopher um, and an even worse theologian and historian. If he would have just done science, like the selfish gene and all that stuff's brilliant. It's really brilliant. He, he, he's made his mark. Like, do you? Um, but then he adventures into like the God delusion and tries to deal with theology. And you're like, uh, okay. Or Jordan Peterson. I'm sure he's really good at psychology or counseling or whatever it is that he's supposed to be credentialed in, but is clearly pushed to the back of his agenda. Um, the other stuff, kind of his social critique stuff, his attempt to debate uh, Zizek on, on, yeah, on postmodernism and Marxism. You're just like, you're not the you're not the guy for this. Like, this is not your lane to be driving in. And the sad thing is, Dawkins and uh, Jordan Peterson probably wouldn't make as much bank uh, if they just stayed in their lane. You know what I mean? They wouldn't make but, the money yeah, if they stayed in their I, lane. I wanna, I, I want to push back on that. that okay. There is a, um, let's say there's a religio-social movement uh, in the United States that started in the 70s uh, whenever there was a certain consortium that was uh, formed around opposing Roe versus Wade and uh, about bringing back the moral majority and all that kind of stuff. And it was led by a whole bunch of popular intellectuals. And uh, whether or not you love that movement or hate that movement, uh, because of their quasi-public intellectuals, because of their support from uh, preachers and things like that, they have mobilized an immense base and have taken uh, taken the reins of power in the most uh, uh, powerful nation on the world in the in the world right now. So if if you don't if you don't have the quote-unquote public intellectual or public theologian. Uh, that is mobilizing your cause, how is it going to get popularized in order to form a, a, a base? I agree. I think that's a... Yeah, I'm not necessarily saying toss aside the, the public intellectual or the generalist. What I am saying is there may be too many of them. Yeah. Like there's so many of them. Oh no, the fly that attacked Mike Pence is... <laughs> He just showed up. It's bothering. It's it's coming for me. <laughs> what did I just say? Fly, fly realm. Whenever a fly lands, you you now know that you're saying something offensive in the universe. So I take back. I can see. I can see Nate. I take back all my arguments. 
the fly just landed on me. I have, I have lost this right. I will shut up now. <laughs> no, um, I, yeah, I, I definitely, there, there are intellectuals. Um, and again, this video that I just watched this afternoon is kind of on my mind, but there's, you know, you got, you got like your conservatives like William Buckley or um, uh, liberals um, like James Baldwin in the past. They, they, they have a pretty broad um, set of topics that they are able to address. And that's good. I think there's, but I, I think there's fewer people who are capable of playing that role well then there are people who are making money playing it. And I think part of the problem we have with certain movements in the United States, like the one you're mentioning, is people that didn't really know what they were talking about, but were good at articulating a position, um, like Jerry Falwell Jr.'s dad, Jerry Falwell Sr., yeah. um, have made a massive impact on this country, not because Jerry Falwell Sr. was really well versed in the science around um, when life begins and abortion and so forth, but because he had an opinion, you know, and that's kind of where the shock jock political radio, all that is, it's really about the loudest person. Um, and that person gets paid. And so we have too many of those is what I think I'm, I'm saying too many of those types of people. I mean, I think Thomas Sawell or would be in that category too. He was a economist who um, started to become very politically active as a conservative and he tried to get many bills repealed, sort of what Jordan Peterson did. Actually, the reason why Jordan Peterson got very famous was because of the bill C-16 that he repealed in uh, Canada, which uh, basically uh, it was illegal for you not to call a tra transgendered or a person who identified with a different gender by their name. So Peterson basically fought against that in, in the name of freedom of speech that's what got him popular. And I mean, he's a psychology professor and a very brilliant one. I, I'd recommend his videos uh, on YouTube. Um, again, like, like you were saying, like as a psychology professor, as a philosophy uh, teacher, I think he's, he's a brilliant guy. Now in terms of politics, he does tend to stick man postmodernism, I think, and Marxism um, very common of to do, but uh, I think he's still a brilliant psychology teacher and, his videos are highly recommended by me. So, um, so I guess back to technology. Do we have any final comments on the problem of technology before we uh, move on to another problem <laughs> that we would like to talk about? Aren't all problems now the problem of technology, Farouk? They're all the problems. <laughs> Well, I mean, I like to bring up the point that sure we're, we're trashing technology right now, but like technology more than ever right now during the pandemic is, is literally our lifeline right now. I mean, uh, without it, we wouldn't be able to do any, like I'd say half the things we're doing right now. So, yeah. I mean, it's easy to criticize things once, once we've forgotten the problems they fixed. That's what a tendency of us to do. So that's true. That's cool. Maybe it's the um, maybe it's certain. That, though, oh, is, yeah. 
You're breaking up. Well, the thing about that is like, yeah, a lot of what we were able to say, hang on. Is that better? Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, a lot of what we were able to do during the pandemic to like connect, like, yeah, it was thanks to technology. The people who were left out of it were even more isolated. Like, I don't have any form of social media. Like, so I felt very disconnected people that I can talk to over the course of six months. Those were the only people that I talked to. Kaylee, I would agree with you because, well, I don't have social media either. I, I quit it a while back. Um, so, yes. So, Sorry, I think you cut out and I sort of interrupted you midway. So continue. Oh, okay. Sorry. It, I guess there's a lag because I'm saying stuff and like y'all respond to what I said like 10 seconds ago. So, but yeah, I was saying uh, like, yes, it connected us more than ever, but the people who got left out of that were even more disconnected than they should have. Yeah, I definitely didn't think of that as being an equity issue. I just kind of thought of, like, what about the people that do have it? But that's that's something I didn't think about. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Like, well, like how, Kaylee, you were mentioning how you don't have social media. I would be in the same camp where I don't have social media either. And the past six months, I literally had no interaction with anybody outside my family. But this, it's also a temperamental thing where I actually kind of, I'm more um, introverted. So I, I had, you know, these last six months were pretty much bliss for me, but uh, uh, somebody who is more extroverted or more reliant on human interaction would have um, taken the anti Nietzschean route and not resorted to solitude. So. Um. Anything else before we move on to another modern day issue slash problem? All right, what's our, what's our next problem on the spin of wheel of modern problems? Really, you guys can't think of any problems that we face today? Wow, it must be. It's not that we can't think of problems that we face. It's that we're trying to think of problems that once we open that mm, discussion up, we can actually go somewhere with it. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I'll, I'll bring up a problem that I think is a huge issue, and that tends to be, right, like the individual's lack of meaning in, modern, in our modern-day world. Um, and this is a very complex topic, but... Um, I don't even know where to start with this, but really it's, it's, it's depression and nihilism at the same time. Um, and a good thing to know about these two concepts are, well, depression is a physiological response most of the times. Um, but that nihilistic people, nihilism is just a rejection of anything that has any purpose in life really. Um, all depressed people are nihilistic, but not all nihilistic people are depressed. So that's something to think about, right? 
because let's see. Hmm, I did not know that. How do you pronounce that, Father Nate? That's a great question. Hold on. Anime. 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 I've only ever I've I've read it many times in a lot of different books, but I don't think I've ever said it out loud. Anime. Now I've said it out loud. (laughs) Did you say that all the press people are nihilistic? I did say that. If somebody would like to challenge that, I don't know that that's true. Really? Well, how's how come? I mean, I think someone can be depressed and they can have a uh, a narrative that still gives them meaning. Like, there's a lot of de- really depressed religious people out there. Uh, they have a narrative, yeah, that is gives them meaning and significance. Um, so they're not in a vacuum. Um, I think Father Nate even did a this. My, the world's blowing together, but you did the sermon on Elijah, right? This year. You talked about Elijah this year, right? Uh, I've done I've done a sermon on it before. I can't remember when. Okay, I can't remember when either. So that makes me feel good because if it's this year and you can't remember, then I'm definitely off the hook for not remembering. Um, but Elijah being a prophet of Yahweh and very motivated to try to get Israel to worship Yahweh instead of the God Baal. And as soon as he wins this great victory over the prophets of Baal, where in the story Yahweh brings down fire and Baal who's not a real God in the story is unable to do such a thing. Immediately a queen named Jezebel who hates him is like, you're going to be dead to as soon as I can get my hands on you. And what does he do? He's like, oh, the world's crashing on me. And it's not because he like lost purpose or lost belief. It's just like fear and um, anxiety. And I think also um, a lot of the things that can contribute to depression, of course, I'm not a psychologist, um, but I live in 2020 and you know, everyone knows somebody that deals with depression uh, doesn't always necessarily come from a sense of purposeless or meaninglessness, but it maybe can be that the purpose and meaning um, that they had, the expectations weren't lived up to or something just very traumatic happened in the after waves of trauma result in depression but i don't think any of those things necessarily mean the person experiencing it's throwing up their hands and saying that the vacuum has sucked purpose and meaning out it's just there's a moment where they're having a hard time knowing where to go next and just by and just chemistry sometimes chemistry you might not cognitively on paper be able to say i feel bad because but your chemical system is saying that you're going to feel bad anyways. <laughs> and that's not, not based on what their worldview or philosophy is, just based on the chemistry of their brain at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll go- Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just going to say, I think it's just so complex that it's really hard to pinpoint. Like, like I'm confused if you were saying like that's a cause or if that's just like depressed people, that's something they have in common but I just like, I, I don't think that, where am I going with this? Um, to say that life doesn't have meaning therefore like you're, I think, I think you know where I'm going with this, but like, I don't, give me a sec. Let me, let me think. Oh, no, it's what, fine. Think about it.
Y'all can go. Sorry, I'm trying to think of where I was. Yeah, going. once you think about it, just uh, just, okay. just head, just tip your toes back in. So, um, but what I was, I think, I think Father Nate, I mean Father Doctor Laporte, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm gaining titles. <laughs> I got more titles now. <laughs> I, I apparently I got ordained in the last thirty seconds. <laughs> um i mean yes i think well i guess i'll quickly summarize the neurological um well what depression is from a neurological perspective um what it is is it's the mismatch between your expectations and the results that's a strictly behavioralistic um behavioralism was a school of neuroscience that was established during the 60s by bf skinner and uh um what they did was they basically played around with um pigeons and rats and made them do crazy things but they're really cool guys if you want to check them out. But anyways, um, they, their establishment of depression was that it was a mismatch between expectation, your ex- internal expectations for something and reality itself. And if you do it long enough, if you um, create the mismatch long enough, then depression in roughly neurological sense arises. But um, there's definitely other reasons for depression. I mean, one of the main ones is I think as uh, physiological reasons in our, in our very, uh, processed diet um, which there's a great book written called uh, nutrition and physical degeneration by weston a price um, and that essentially explores the relationship between mental illness of many sorts and diet alone so if we want to if we want to take all the all the reasons for depression it'd be nutrition it'd be philosophical justifications for it there's a whole host of things for depression and i think it's not wise for us to attribute it to one reason or simply just to label it as nihilism as I did earlier. Um, but I like to narrow it down and say that suicidal people are nihilistic. So, which, and even I'm going to disagree there too. I'm going <laughs> to, sorry. I mean, like, cause let's go back to, to depression. There's people that I, I think the definitions you're giving work if humans are merely sociological beings but we're also a weird bundle of chemicals uh, people inherit dna and other things from their ancestors and there are family lines where people are just you can trace it like if you were to go to my family on my matrilineal line um anxiety disorders are extremely common it's not is is there some socializing like one anxious parent makes another anxious child becomes an anxious parent makes anxious child sure um but is there also just like the chemical baton is passed to you and you've got to deal with it yes i think the same thing is true of um depression but with suicide i think there's definitely examples that would at least counter the universal nature of the claim you made. Um, Let's take someone like Robin Williams who did commit suicide. Uh, One of my favorite actors, you know, a Bay area guy. So like he's one of the few celebrities I've read a full biography on. It's not something I usually do. I love Robin Williams. I was terribly sad when he, when he, uh, when he died by suicide. Um, but his brain was also starting to turn on itself. Um, he, um, 
it wasn't dementia. It was something similar. I think they thought it was dementia at first. I can't remember what it ended up being, but basically your brain starts turning on you. Your brain starts forgetting things and you lose control of all sorts of capacities. Um, I wouldn't say that someone that kills himself in that state was nihilistic. I would say that it's, that's just too clean. It's just too clean to have it be that someone like Robin Williams had a logical worldview that resulted in actions. Sometimes actions don't always come out of our logical worldview. They come out of a million different experiences and things that are happening to us at any given moment. Um, so when, when Williams did that, I don't, uh, I just don't see it as being a good a good example of why he would do something like that. And I think a lot of people would follow suit. Or you have people with extremely debilitating chronic pain that they just can't um, function. I don't necessarily think that that's them giving up in the way that saying they're nihilistic. I think it's just like when you can't, <laughs> um, you can't manage because you're under the weight of something that's too too big for you, that seems to be at least a counter-argument to the claim that it, just nihilistic people would commit suicide. Threw Kate in my argument so much that he just got up and left. He's very frustrated with me. <laughs> oh, well. It's okay, Farouk. You're forgiven. Anyways, so now it's just me sitting here. You guys are looking at me, but I have nothing else to offer. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Let, let us ask this then. Do you think do you think that the way you think or philosophy can help you with depression or help you with mood disorders? I think so. Like they have um you know there are psychologists with like cognitive cognitive based therapy that teach you coping mechanisms. So medicine's not gonna always do any for you if you have depression or anxiety or something like that. Um, it's just not, it's not as simple as popping a pill. Though I don't know of many psychologists who would say, you don't, it, it, that if, if your chemical situation is causing you to feel depressed or anxious and it's out of your control, that simple cognitive-based therapy with, um, with, weight, with coping mechanisms is gonna be sufficient. I think that most of them would say, here's, here's the medicine because this is a chemical problem. And here's the tools, the coping mechanisms that you have the will to practice once we get the chemicals right. Is that yeah. answer? Yeah, sure. I think mindfulness and like meditation, that's philosophy based, right? I mean, obviously not to minimize anybody else's, like, it's not going to work for everyone, but I definitely think that can help. Yeah, yeah. meditation is definitely an Eastern philosophy based on Eastern, um, it's, a, it's, it's a practice based on Eastern philosophy, um, and the phenomenologist would tag along off of that, to be in the moment, to be the lotus of experience, um, I do have 15 minutes before my next meeting, but uh, we're still good. So, um, yeah, I think that 
uh, Kaylee's more dedicated to the core than you because <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I have 15 minutes to get ready. I need to get in the mindset. I'm going to go. And Bruce over here like, I could just switch Zoom calls on a moment's notice. Whatever. Core does more. Uh. Now, I want to clarify that all the theories I'm proposing are only from being in the world and knowing people. It's not from being educated in pharmacology, psychology, or any of those fields. I don't speak as an expert. I don't know. Um, but I know enough people that I, that I think there's just too many causes um, to things like anxiety, depression for it us to summarize in one line or two lines you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure there's a there's many causal factors for depression i definitely agree to that um so but the the reason why i bring it up is that because i don't know if this is just a it is certainly a problem that i've seen at cmi in particular with students and you know, I, I I haven't been on social media until I think it was Mr. Ridewood who suggested we check out an Instagram account called, uh, I believe it was called Unheard Panthers. Uh, I think it, I think not, and I, you brought it up too once. And I, I finally checked it out after people started uh, telling me about it. And some of the stories on there are very, very concerning in terms of mental health um, in high school in particular. Um, is that a problem of, in our culture in general? Uh, in our society, in our outlook on life, in our philosophical underpinnings of American Western society? Yes, but there's also other reasons for it as well. So is that a problem of modernity itself? Is that a result of industrialization in our um, lifestyles of eating processed foods and staying in inside all the time? Or is it a problem of philosophical justification for a meaningless life using empiricism and so um, determinism to prove that, hey, everything is already, uh, it's just faith, essentially. So there's no free will. You're just a uh, cog in a machine that's just being played right now, like a, like a spinning disc. So there's so many, so many proposed reasons for why our youth, and not just our youth, just people in general are more depressed now than they ever were before. So... So what you're saying is stay off social media? Is that what this is? Is that what you're trying to loop it back around? Stay off social media? <laughs> stay off of social media and you'll be fine. You'll be... Uh... <laughs> I and your one-liners. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I thought you were going to blame it on capitalism, Farouk. Um, <laughs> well, this is a good point. Um, I'm not an anti-capitalist by any means, but there's, there should be room for criticism of capitalism. And I think this is where our good old friend Aldous Huxley comes in with his uh, Brave New World and his brutal, brutal um, critique of the negative effects of capitalism. Um, I mean, everybody here should read that book, period. Like, it's just the most relevant book in terms of our capitalistic society. Um, but I don't think it's just the effects of capitalism i mean capitalism do has done more good than evil in my opinion um if somebody i'm sure someone would disagree with me there but to me it isn't obvious that its evils outweigh its goods 
it's like what Winston Churchill said about de- uh, democracy. Um, democracy is the worst form of government, but uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but it, it was something along the lines of democracy is the worst form of government, but it is the only one feasible. Um, I think it's the same thing with capitalism. So, Democracy is the worst form of government except for all the other ones. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, such a good quote. <laughs> um, so can we blame capitalism? Probably, yes. But it's like, what's the alternative? It's like, it's better if we just deal with the effects and, and work on an individual. I think to cause a social change, we have to work on an individual level rather than looking outwards and having an ambitious goal. It's like that Leo Tolstoy's quote, everybody thinks of changing the world, but nobody thinks of changing himself, right? I don't know. I don't know, what do you all think? There's a prevalence of depression and a lack of meaning among youth and even TMI students in particular. Because I've certainly, for, for example, Lucas Prado, um, you know, he had his old chapel talk against nihilism, right? And by the time summer hit, um, he had become a full-blown nihilist, right? Like he was giving me lectures on how life is just meaningless. And I was like, Lucas, you need to stop playing video games and you need to start doing other things. Like, because the thing with nihilism in when you're a young person is you can actually afford it, right? Like, cause you have no responsibilities. It's like, if life is meaningless, then I cannot have responsibilities. It's just great, right? I can just engage in the bliss at right now. But when you get a job and you have a family, it's like, yeah, life, if, even if life is meaningless, like there's no way that's gonna fly with me. Like I gotta, I got things to do right now. I gotta pay the bills. I gotta do this and that. So I think, why nihilism is prevalent one reason at least among youth is that it, it's affordable so you said earlier that like media might be the cause of a lot of like mental like illnesses and things like that but like maybe this is just me but it kind of helped me like it helps to break the stigma a lot of times because i mean there's just such like a large part of that that we don't talk about but I think a lot of times media can help to open outlets to talking about those types of things that just like the real world doesn't give so you're saying that the media can talk about certain things that are not talked about in order to raise an awareness for those topics yeah exactly that for sure I, I certainly agree to that yeah Isaiah and Santiago, what are y'all's thoughts? Um, I think one of the reasons many people just are nihilistic is because it's like kind of easier to just think nothing. And it's also kind of like when people are just trying to be positive all the time, it gets kind of annoying. So from my perspective of being like, oh no, nothing matters. It's like, look at these ridiculous people trying to find meaning in nothing. Mm. that's uh, this has always been something that's interested me i don't know how for example i don't know Farouk, your summer conversations with lucas or um, santiago there you use the example of someone being 
frustrated because other people don't recognize the inherent meaninglessness of the universe. <laughs> and what cracks me up about both those examples is that the nihilist finds a lot of meaning in convincing everybody that there's no meaning. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, are you a fool? There's no meaning. You're ruining my day by not believing this. And Sam's just like, well, Lee, sounds like you found some meaning. Your meaning might last 12 hours, but you're found the meaning to get you through the next 12 hours and convincing me that the universe is meaningless. So therefore we have meaning. It might be temporary well, meaning. The, the, the first rule of nihilism is that it's like Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about it. The first rule of nihilism is if you're really serious about being a nihilist, why bother sharing it with anybody? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, yeah think, that's... I think Santiago's argument, it's like, the reason why nihilists exist is because of the overly uh, naive, positive people. It's like, this is George Orwell's argument for why authoritarianism exists. He said that, he was a socialist himself. He said the reason authoritarianism exists is because socialism itself failed. It's like, I mean, that's kind of brave of a socialist himself to say, but I think what Santiago is saying is like, the reason why there's nihilistic people is because there's too many naive people who are out of cowardice, not trying to embrace the hard realities of life. And here Nietzsche would certainly agree with you, Santiago. It's like Santiago uh, or Nietzsche said that Nietzsche was not a nihilist, contrary to popular belief, but he also wasn't a, so he certainly wasn't a uh, optimist, right? Uh, a naive optimist and this is also another reason why i'm not ten, uh, particularly a fan of positive psychology um, because one of the tenets is that you like you construct a positive illusion so that you can combat your problems where you create a you purposely put on a veil so that you don't get to see your problems and you stay in this state of eternal bliss kind of like a new age thinker philosophy so certainly agree with you santiago but that makes it a reaction, not a philosophy. Well, like I, I can't stand super positive people either. I'm, I, I am on the opposite side. I have to fight with being a negative um, personality. I'm, I'm snarky. I'm sarcastic. I'm grumpy. Um, my wife used to call me Grumpy Cat. Remember that meme back in the day? The cat that's always angry. That's me, uh, especially when my beard gets full. But I don't know that I would be like, you know what, stupid happy people? Just because you're stupid and happy, the whole universe is purposeless. There, you like that, stupid happy people? The universe is purposeless. Now I've made myself happy by telling you how stupid you are because of the purposelessness of the universe. Like, I think it's just kind of, it's got this ironic twist to it that the people that want to advocate that get so much joy and meaning from the, that. And they get Being so much joy and meaning. Yeah, and they get joy and meaning out of being the intellectually superior ones to the blissful, happy people who yes. are, uh, the sheep. you know, yeah, the sheep. <laughs> I am the overman. <laughs> it's like, I think that, and again, I'm not one of those people that's like, bliss out and just forget everything. I don't think that's the answer. Um, but I don't know that it's a, it's a good, I don't know that to combat naive optimism, the best response is to say that that these people have found the wrong path because the real path is the miserable one 
I'm on now where I don't think there's any meaning. Like, that seems a little funny. It's like, you know, a happy person, you're stupid. And the only joy I have in the world is telling you how stupid you are for being happy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> there's certainly people who exist like that, though. I, there's certainly people I've met that are like that. And there are people that deliberately have a purpose to make other people's lives purposeless. So, yeah, yeah. That's the, and it, and it kind of gives them a little bit of weird joy to do that. Mm-hmm. So clearly they believe there's happiness to be found in purpose and meaning in the universe. <laughs> I think one other reason is that we tend to use our problems as a justification to blame the structure of reality as something that's hell bent, really. It's like we have our own problems. We project them onto the universe and say, well, this is a universal problem. This is not, oh, I just can't get up on time and eat well, or I can't do my homework on time. Like, Maybe if you actually fix those problems, then you won't have a state of mind where you're blaming the universe all the time. But Maybe. it feels better to blame someone else than to take it upon yourself to fix anything. Mm, yeah. I mean, who wants responsibility? Like, some suggest that taking responsibility is a cure denialism and that's on the based on the presupposition that nihilism is a disease which or a uh, a something that needs to be eradicated um obviously somebody like lucas prado would say no absolutely not it has his justification even though you made a chapel talk against it but okay well, let's check in with lucas in december yeah to see if he cared about how midterms went <laughs> and if he doesn't care how midterms went, then I'll buy his shift to nihilism. <laughs> That's a good point. If he you cares know, like, even a little bit, then he's lying to us. You got like 30 seconds before the core if you, if you got to go to the core. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you guys got anything? Nope. Yeah, don't be late to the core, Farouk. Go All right. Push-ups. Yeah, yeah. But if, if life is meaningless, then it doesn't matter. So we will extend this. No, I'm just joking. Okay. Um, so that's about it, y'all. Um, I'll post this to the podcast once Dr. Report um, exports it out, and I should be going. See y'all.